Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I feel like Elijah, I have prepared the offering. I've prepared this word for your people. But I know, Lord, unless you bring the fire down from heaven, nothing will happen. And so I pray for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon this time. Because you know what every single one of these dear people need. You know what I need. You know what they need. You know the battles we face. You know what we need to hear this morning. So God, I'm trusting you as you've done so many times. Speak through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you do it in such a way that you would get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right away this morning, I want to kind of help us warm up our hearts with this full section of scripture by just giving you the main point right away. I want to give it to you right away. And this is, I think, the thrust of 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can put it this way. Faithful servants of Jesus Christ will train themselves for godliness. Faithful servants of Jesus Christ will train themselves for godliness. We must, as Christians, do whatever it takes to get in shape spiritually and to stay in shape spiritually. At the heart of our passage, the Apostle Paul uses a metaphor, an athletic metaphor that really accounts for everything in all of chapter 4. You could filter all of it through this central metaphor that he uses. You can see it in verses 7 and 8, if you want to look there with me. Verse 7, it says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silliness. And here we go. Rather, train. Do you hear that exercise language, athletic language? Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul is saying, just as a well-trained and disciplined athlete is striving toward a goal and willing to do whatever it takes training-wise to achieve those goals, so too the Christian is meant to train themselves with the same kind of vigor but toward godliness to give themselves to training in godliness. Now, Paul uses the example of bodily training and its temporal value in order to highlight spiritual training and its eternal value. So that's his point about pointing out bodily training. It's just to highlight spiritual training, training in godliness. This is of surpassing value. It holds promise for this life but also for the life to come. Now, I feel like I would be amiss if I didn't at least give a small plug for bodily training. Even though it's serving its purpose here, a higher purpose, there is something here. Bodily training is of some value. That phrase has been enough for me to say I need to keep getting exercise, physical exercise, and giving a, and having enough of a diet that doesn't compete with that. Okay. And, and the good effects that are meant to come from it. Bodily training is of some value. When the scripture says it's of value, we want to treat it like it is of some value. Now, some of us have work that allows us to kind of kill two birds with one stone. We get plenty of physical exercise. Praise God. Um, but some of us don't. And we kind of have to go out of our way to get the heart rate up a little bit more and to get the body moving. And uh, I just, I so want to encourage it. And another plug, if you are having a hard time being motivated, but you know you need to exercise a little more and get some physical training, there is two groups that are meeting on Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one really early for the for the early birds, 5.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday group, and then in the afternoons around 4 o'clock, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So there's there's a group of guys, but gals can come too and get some bodily training because it is of at least some value. All right? So take that to heart. Maybe that's a fresh word you need this morning and taking care of the body that God has given you. But as I said a moment ago, Paul uses the example of bodily training and its temporal value in order to highlight spiritual training and point to its eternal value. 
Now, I was listening to an interview that was very fascinating to me. It was an interview with a guy who just lives in the world of uh, Olympic trainers and athletes. So he's just around Olympic athletes and trainers, they're nutritionists all the time. It's just the air that he breathes. And so I was kind of leaning in and he's, he's being interviewed and asked questions like, what does it take to be an Olympic athlete? And what are some of the biggest mistakes that Olympic athletes make? I'll share with you some of his findings. One of the things that was interesting to me was one of the biggest mistakes that Olympic world-class elite athletes make is they get caught up in fads, right? They have all these things marketed and thrown at them, right? And saying, this is going to give you the edge on your competition. This, you know, is in a sense going to help you cut corners and not have to work as hard in some of these other areas. And you see like an athlete all of a sudden show up at the Olympics with all these like patches all over his body. And you're going, well, that's interesting. It must be very vital to his training. But then four years later, it's funny, he shows up and he doesn't have the patches on him anymore because it was just a passing fad, right? And so he talked about just needing to educate athletes to know what it's going to take and so they don't get caught up in some of the gimmicks that are getting thrown at them all the time and so they don't get distracted, right? And so they're not bent on trying to cut corners. And this is probably the thing I took away most from that interview is he just went back to the most basic thing. You know, something you would hear from like a high school, you know, trainer or something like that for athletes in a high school. Like, hmm, can you guess them? Diet, exercise, and rest. <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> Diet, exercise, rest. And so he just talked about the importance of these things. You cannot get around them. And then, of course, he did say genetics play a part. <laughs> Right. When it comes to an athlete, an, an Olympic athlete, you know, I could try as hard as I want, but I'm never going to meet, beat Michael Phelps in the pool swimming. Okay. It's just not going to happen. And, uh, I could maybe have a little more heart than him, but it's just, yeah, whatever. I'll still be one full pool length behind him. Right. So there are genetics involved, but the point is, is that you can be, you can have great genetics, but if you don't put the work in, it's not going to matter. It's not to get them where they need to be. And they talked about Olympic uh, training facilities. You know, there's a few places across the country where they've built these state-of-the-art training facilities. And they did it after surveying and getting feedback across all these different athletic events and competitions and trainers. Like, what would they need to help them get maximal training um, so that they perform well as they represent their country in four years? And, uh, and so the whole facility is just set up. It's just amazing. You, you know, they got a place for you to, to live. They get, give apartments. They make it so convenient where the, the workout facilities are right there. Um, they have trainers. They have nutritionists. They have hired chefs. They, I mean, they feed them a ton because Olympic athletes, they have so much physical output that it, they have to eat like three times as much as a normal human being just to sustain their bodies with all that they put them through. But the point is, everything is right there. It's so conveniently provided for them in these facilities because they want, they want them to be able to get in tip-top shape, to be able to represent their country well and give them everything that they need to, to um, succeed. Now, you can give them all those things. But they still have to do what? They have to put the work in, right? You can be like, oh, I've got all this. Why isn't it working? That's because you haven't worked out in a month. (laughs) You know, you have to actually put the work in. And I think that there's a lot of spiritual connections here, isn't there? And why Paul would reach for an athletic metaphor like this one. That Olympic training facility, that is the local church. The local church is like a one-stop shop where God is wanting to provide all the right kind of training to help Christians have everything that they need. And if a local church is firing on all cylinders and it's really thought out according to God's design, it's going to provide everything there where it's going to take away any excuses. It's just a matter of will we put in the work to actually receive the benefit we're meant to receive. But we're going to come back to the same things. What's our diet? Spiritually speaking, what kind of exercise should we be giving ourselves? Are we getting enough rest spiritually? Now, in this text, Paul 
in a sense, you could say, is acting as Timothy's personal trainer. And Timothy then, in turn, is meant to act as a personal trainer for the people at Ephesus, the church he's ministering to. And you could just go right on down with this pattern. You have leaders in a local church called, in a sense, serve as personal trainers for the people. But the people, as they're trained, they're going to be part of training others. And so this multiplication and discipleship continues. And there's two main areas of training in godliness. And that is training in doctrine and character. Doctrine, so our knowledge of God's word, the Bible, and our ability to share it and pass it on to others. So that's doctrine, but also character. That's one's ability to live out those truths in the nitty-gritty of life. And um, when I thought about it, when it comes to a personal trainer, if you want a good personal trainer, a good personal trainer is going to do two things for you. One, he's going to challenge you, right? But he's not just going to challenge you. He's also going to seek to motivate you, right? So to challenge and to motivate. So that's what I want to do in the sermon. I want to give you five challenges to build spiritual muscle in your life and then give you four motivations to help you build spiritual muscle in your life so that you don't give up. So let's start with the five challenges. Number one, I challenge you as God's people to eat a proper spiritual diet. Like I said, Olympic athletes have to eat three times as much. The more exertion we put forward spiritually, the more that we're going to have to be fed and nourished spiritually. I was reading in the Morrison County record, uh, I think this is this past week, and there was a, a local athlete, not in Pierce, but elsewhere, and she was a really good, she's like a track star for her high school. And uh, she was just just edged out of going to state her like eighth grade, ninth grade, <laughs> 10th grade year, and now she's aiming for it, like her junior and senior year, but she's a standout. And she ran in one of her meets this past year, and her times were like down. And she was really discouraged and disheartened by that, and so her coaches kind of get together, kind of consult with her, try to figure out what's wrong, and they start asking her about some of her habits, right? And one of them was her eating habits. She was pushing herself so hard but she was not feeding herself nearly enough. And so her body just could not keep up with what was on there. She was not getting enough nourishment. And so by making that adjustment and realizing that was such a big part of her life as an athlete, that adjustment has made the difference. And it was kind of an eye-opening thing for her. And so it is with the Christian. When we eat a proper diet, and I say proper, meaning um, it matters what we eat and um, how much we eat. And so one of the challenges about this sermon is I'm not going to be able to be so thorough with every one of the things that I would love to go to in great detail in. But I want to at least prime the pump. So prime the pump. So when it comes to to eating spiritually, nourishing ourselves, challenging you to get a proper spiritual diet, I want to talk about the Word of God, our Bible intake. Okay, I want to I want to challenge you to set realistic yet stretching goals. Okay, and I'm guessing everyone needs to hear both sides of that. So realistic, because some of us want to just be like, I'm going to read the Bible through 15 times this year. Well, that's that's good. Um, But I want you to be realistic because what happens after a month and you realize, boy, I should have it at least twice by now. You go, you know, you lose heart, right? So to be realistic about what you can actually do, but at the same time to stretch yourself because some of us, you know, you've, you've, you've kind of grown in some of the discipline in this area, but you never push yourself beyond where, what your capacities are to actually get more intake. And so to have realistic yet, yet stretching goals, but to be consistent, that's the crucial thing. No one wants to just be like, oh, yeah, last year I had a week where it went really well. I mean, that's miserable as an athlete. Have you ever went in and just worked out really hard for like one day? And then you're sore for like three days. And then like just next year to do the same thing again. And there's really absolutely no benefit to it. The consistency, the point of breaking down those muscles so that they can consistently be built up. And you don't have to go through that same misery every single time. 
And don't just eat what is a treat to you. So all of the Bible is good. All of it is profitable, but we want to have a balanced diet from Scripture, right? And so I want to encourage us, maybe some of us, we just love the Psalms. I do too. I love the Psalms. But if you only read the Psalms, you're going to be, you're not going to have a full diet biblically. And so try to be in different portions, Old Testament, New Testament, and try to get the forest and the trees. Some of us spend all of our time just, just reading broadly in scripture, right? But we never slow down. You know, I get, I like use that analogy of the forest and the trees. Like, you know, you, you get a, you go up with Sawyer's a, a private pilot now. So you go up with Sawyer in the plane and he gives you the overview of your land that you own, right? And he's trying to help you see what you have. And you, so it's really nice. Like, oh, okay, I'm kind of getting oriented here. But you can do that for years and you should. Just keep getting, just know it like the back of your hand in terms of the layout of it. But you need to get, you need to land the plane and then you need to go for a hike. And you need to get to know individual trees. And this is a Christian slowing down in portions of Scripture in order to really get acquainted with it. You do that throughout your Christian life, you are going to grow strong. And you're going to grow in your knowledge of the Bible. It's not just about this week. It's about just being consistent over long periods of time. And here, since I'm challenging us right now, the motivation is going to come, okay? So hang in there. You better hang in there. We got several challenges coming. But uh, I want to challenge you to work your memory muscle. Okay? We have these fighter verses up here every single Lord's Day. Your elders memorize these every week. A good number are starting to memorize them. But we're not doing this just so that we can recite it together. We're doing this because we actually think that Christians that have given minds and hearts can actually internalize the word of God. God's word says, I store up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And so God's word is actually meant to be memorized. We're not going to be able to memorize all of it, most of us, right? All of us. But to memorize it. And it is a muscle. It is a muscle. So I'm going to be strong in some of these first portions because I think I'm too soft on it sometimes. We should flex this muscle. We will use it to binge on television. We will use it to do all kinds of things that are important to us, but we will not give it to the word of God. The living word of God has spoken, given his words, breathed out in a book, and we do not take it nearly seriously enough. We cannot memorize it all, but we can get some of it in our souls. You might not get every single verse, but make a plan to get some of them. In your soul. This word of God is so precious. It is to be memorized. I remember how hard it was for me when I first started memorizing. For Karen, it came a lot easier to her. But for me, I literally remember we were memorizing the book of James together, which is not a good starting point all the time, but it's definitely stretched muscles for me. But I just remember wanting to bang my head on stuff because I was so frustrated with how hard it was. But I kept at it by the grace of God. And that muscle has been trained a lot. And so it actually comes fairly easy to me now, but it didn't at first. And I'm convinced from talking to tons of people that memorize scripture, it is, it's a muscle. It's going to come more naturally some to those, but it has to be trained. Okay. And yes, it is beneficial to do it when you're young. It's beneficial. It's incredible what children can memorize. It's even better though if parents are modeling the worth of God's word by memorizing it so their children can see it and are actually inspired, right? Not just like, oh, go to Sunday school, let them teach it. Like, no, you show them the value of the word, even if they memorize more than you, <laughs> right? Just help them. And I would also say with this, um, you, you might be a little bit, you know, later in years. I'm keeping that very broad. Um, and you might feel like memorization is hard for you. Well, maybe it's because you never trained the muscle, but it's not too late to train that muscle. And I'll never forget, and one of the things I just want to keep pressing on, I remember Elder Bernie Otremba, our dear brother. And I remember, like, it wasn't easy for him to memorize scripture. And he often felt like it was kind of, you know, a bucket with holes in it, right? He's just keep, but that brother never quit filling up that bucket. And I watched him in his last days reciting scriptures like Psalm 121 from memory on his deathbed, nourishing his soul, fortifying his soul, I can't do that for you there all the time. You know, you have to have some of these things in you. 
You have to. There's times no one else can do it for you. And that's why it says the personal responsibility is train yourself for godliness. Strong note of personal responsibility. Not me making this, uh, but train, do that muscle memory work. Start really slow. Okay, one verse over a month. I mean, just get it in you and review it every single day. Write it on your pocket. See, I'm getting too, too specific here. But don't just, don't just memorize stuff either. Meditate. Med- it's not just there so that you can be like, hey, I've, met- I've memorized a lot of verses, right? But meditate on these verses. Last night, we were driving home and uh, we saw a deer. And I'm glad I saw it ahead of time. But I slow down and we look at this deer and we kept looking at the deer, and all of a sudden, the more I looked at that deer, the more deer I was starting to see. And we started to see 20 in one field. And it just struck me. It's like just like that with scripture meditation. When we meditate on the scriptures, we look, but then we look again, and we look a little closer, and all of a sudden, we start to see more and more and more and more. Even the fighter verses. I was so, I was moved this morning, uh, walking and thinking about that verse when it says, um, in all, I think this is next week's, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That all. Like every one of those lies that are coming? Yes. Every single. That was strengthening to me to go, yep, every single one of them, the shield of faith will do that for. So, Take enough time to linger, to meditate. You will see more and more of it will start to seep into our hearts. Some of us read plenty, but we don't take enough time to slow down and savor the word of God and let it get into our souls. And some of us slow down a lot, but we're not getting broad enough. So again, the forest and the trees analogies. I'm flipping all kinds of analogies this morning. You're going to have to just roll with me on this. I'm going to just point out prayer here as another discipline for our spiritual diet because the word of God and prayer are always meant to be wedded together, right? The word is what fuels our prayers. Our prayers are really shallow if we're really shallow in the word. But the deeper we are in the word, the more our prayers are going to be seasoned by that. And I want to just point out, like the word of God and Bible intake, it's a discipline. It's going to take work. Prayer, it's a discipline. It's going to take work. Yes, we have those times where it just comes easy and it just flows. But it's hard to get up in the morning and want to pray. You know, by nature, we're selfish. We just want to, do, and we can be lazy, right? Or we want to value other things. But it's a discipline. Learning to pray well. Now, I'm talk, not talking about eloquently. I'm just talking about biblically. Like, learning to pray well is a discipline. And so, we keep harping on the prayer meetings. And I praise God. Like Bobby said, it's starting to smell like a locker room back there because there's quite a few people starting to come to the prayer meetings. But we ultimately want to have them out here where there's more and more people here. And you know what? I've started to bring some of my kids to the prayer meetings. Parents, um, I just want to give you permission. You can bring your kids to the prayer meetings. And if they're allowed, we're going to just roll with it because they need to be able to see prayer. You know, they need to be able to see prayer. I want to hear, I want them to hear you learning to pray. I want them to hear saints crying out to God. I want them to see that the blessings that they experience in life are going to come through the doorway of prayer. And so I encourage you. It's a discipline. Some of you feel, and I've talked to enough of you, you feel nervous about praying out loud. Push yourself. This is exercise. This is exercise. Train yourself for godliness. Do not live your whole Christian life not being comfortable enough to pray out loud with other Christians. That would be wrong. That would be spiritual sloth. God is saying, press in. Stretch yourself. Go beyond where you are at right now. And it's going to be huge for this to get some accountability, right? Because often we can set goals and we'll fall short because we're we're timid, right, in it? Have another brother or sister. Share with them your struggles. Share with them some of the things you want to grow in and help them, as it were, hold your feet to the fire. You might be amazed what you can do when you have someone right there with you. Have you ever, some of you may have experienced it, like you go into a high school weight room when they're doing, uh, when they're maxing out like on a bench press and guys will put more on than they've ever put on before. And they'll have every guy on their team screaming their head off. Now, this is like, people are like, oh, I'm, that's why I never went into sports. But it's an awesome moment where everybody is just going wild and they are able to get up a rep that they've never done before because they have comrades around them cheering them on. This is part of, we need to spur one another on in these things. Um, I'm going to skip through 
some of these things. Um, uh, next challenge. Uh, I challenge you to engage in vigorous spiritual exercise. And here I just want to say, we're not just learning a bunch of truths, memorizing them. When we read the Word of God, it's it's giving us things that we actually want to do, things that we actually need to believe, right? And so we want to isolate those things from the Word of God, and then we want to put them into practice in our daily life. So, for example, you can think about different areas of our lives that need to be disciplined. So how are you doing with your use of time? Okay. How are you doing with your use of time? Do you spend a lot of time on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Right? Or watching Netflix. You know, or YouTube. Or just binging on podcasts. And many of them can even be good. But they're distracting you from other things that you know really you should be doing. We, I was talking to someone yesterday. And they said, you know, talking about their daughter who's living in the world. And, she, and they're just like, well, she just, yeah, she doesn't have time. I'm like, that's a lie. That's a lie. There is time. We always make time for what is important for us. We've all been given the same 24-hour period to steward. And we need to be faithful with it. We have to discipline ourselves to make the best use of time. And I'm saying, we will work at a lot of different things in our lives. Something that's important for us, we will work for. And I'm just saying, I'm pleading this morning. Nothing is more important in our lives than to grow in godliness, to know the word of God and to put it into practice. There's nothing more important. So we need to give ourselves to it. So I want to challenge us to vigorous spiritual exercise. We see an area like our time management, dissect it. Think about how we're using our time and make the changes that are needed. Slow down enough, slow down enough to make the changes that are needed or the use of our tongue. Do you have a habit of complaining, for example? I mean, not that I would ever have that problem. But like, we see something like that coming up more and more. It's good to, okay, what does the word of God say about this? Then you try to memorize maybe some scriptures that will help you fight it. Enlist some accountability and some help. Bring it into the light and consistency. Practice consistency. You fall short, bring it to the Lord, get back up again. Keep going. It's training. This is spiritual exercise. It's going to take work. So vigorous spiritual exercise. You could talk about areas like patience, everything to do with character. Oh, we have so much to grow in, right? And we got a life to do it. So let's start picking away at it and grow and become more like Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you third, third challenge. I challenge you to take prescribed spiritual rest. And here I want to specifically talk about the Lord's Day. Um, and you're here today because you value that. But Sundays are so important for the Christian. In a lot of ways, one of the things that's so beautiful about Sundays is you could be laboring all week to train yourself in godliness to make sure you're, you're intaking the Bible, you're seeking to be in prayer, right? In as much fellowship as you can to keep your eyes on Christ. And it's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. Um, but then you come on Sunday and look someone else has prepared a full meal for you spiritually, right? There's a whole group of people that are for you and not against you and here to encourage you and build you up in the battle. Like the Olympic training center is set for you. All you have to do is come, right? And we're going to give you the food you need. We're going to give you the help you need, the counsel you need to make the kind of changes that you need. You're not alone in this, but you have to be devoted to actually coming <laughs> to the training center. That's what you need. Amen. We need some honesty like Stephen in here. Um, so we, but we got to be there. We got to be there uh, to get the rest that we need. And um, it's those who work hard spiritually that rest well spiritually. It's those who are seeking to live for Christ all week that value the Lord's day the most because they realize they need it. I need to come here. I need to be around brothers and sisters. I need to get filled up. I need, I need a meal I didn't have to prepare myself. Like, well, come. Cause I want to give that to you. We want to give that to each other. And so make it, um, I challenge you to take that prescribed spiritual rest. If you're going to give yourself to Christ the way he's calling you to in the Christian life, it's going to take a lot. It's going to demand a lot. So you're going to need a rest to be part of that fuel for your soul. And, uh, some of us need to hear this. 
you need to come to church more often and not blow it off (laughs) and not blow it off like there's other things a lot more important, like what's going on across the street right now, right? There's nothing more important than gathering with God's people. But some of us need to hear like, you're coming, but you need to sink in a little more deeply. You need to linger a little more. You need to push yourself to have that meaningful conversation with someone. You need to get outside yourself and ask someone questions about their lives and see how they're doing. You see, we need to all find areas where we need to push ourselves. Um, and uh, so that's all part of spiritual rest. Now, my fourth challenge is this. I challenge you to think rightly about spiritual discipline. Think rightly about spiritual discipline. And here I want to be particularly sensitive to someone who may be hearing my message and may not be a true Christian. So I have no doubt that there's people in here that don't are not truly born of God, have the Spirit of God, who are true Christians in the truest, most biblical sense of the word. And it's possible to hear this sermon wrongly. I don't want you to hear this sermon and think for you that the next step that you need to take is to whip whip yourself into shape spiritually. Discipline does not ultimately save. Many highly disciplined athletes, military men, and religious folk will be in hell. Why? Why? Because God saves not on the basis of the strictness of our self-discipline, but on the basis of Christ and his perfection and the sacrifice that he has made for us on the cross. Take Martin Luther as an example of a religious man who had to learn this lesson. Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer of the 1500s, was once a Roman Catholic monk. But not just any monk. He was more zealous, more devoted, more sacrificial, more disciplined as any monk that could be in the monastery, or really any monastery for that matter. But his devotion could not delete his past sin. Nor could his discipline earn favor with God. Discipline in itself does not save So Luther had to realize that it was not his righteousness, his obedience, his discipline, his fitness of soul that would cause heaven to open for him. Rather, it was Christ's righteousness, Christ's obedience, Christ's discipline and fitness of soul that could serve as the grounds of his deliverance. Jesus was the only perfectly fit human being. And oh, how he toiled and strived in preaching sound doctrine and living a heavenly life. How he pushed himself to the point of sweating blood. Remember when he carried his cross, he carried it to the point where he could not literally take another step. He couldn't do another rep, if you will. He pushed himself to the end of himself. It was his devotion. His zeal, his consistency, his commitment, his wholeheartedness that accounts for how any of us can be saved. Me or any of you. Verse 10 says this, For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. God is the only one who can save. And his salvation is applied to those who believe. Like Luther, we must put our trust in him and in him alone. Luther realized that discipline doesn't save. Christ does. But Luther also understood that to be a Christian is to be called to live a disciplined life. Many professed Christians deceive themselves into thinking that being saved will not result in a lifestyle of discipline and holy living. Sadly, some professed Christians, in their well-intentioned zeal to preserve the gospel of grace, are quick to cry legalism when someone speaks plainly about the demands of the Christian life. 
But spiritual discipline is a built-in part of what a regenerate heart is willing to do and what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. We must be willing to give up things to follow Jesus Christ. This life is not what it's all about. We must be willing to give up our self-righteousness. We must be willing to give up our sins. We must be willing to give up our love of ease and our natural desire to want the world to approve of us. We've got to be willing to die to ourself. So I want us, that fourth challenge was calling us to think rightly about spiritual discipline. It doesn't save. But when we are saved, we are called to live a life of spiritual discipline and serious training. My fifth challenge is to count the cost. To count the cost. And some of you, few of you are brand new Christians. And here I want to say from the outset, few of you are going to be getting baptized in just a few short weeks. This is such a word to take to heart. Count the cost. To follow Jesus Christ means you're going to be willing to live a disciplined and holy life. And you're not going to seek to just cut corners and just do enough just to get by. You're going to seek to follow him, his way. You're going to count the cost. But also for those of us who have been Christians for quite some time, maybe a long time, maybe we need a halftime adjustment to reset our expectations on the Christian life, to actually realize we are called to exert ourselves. To actually, that there's actually work involved in the Christian life. Expect that it will be work. Look again at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive. Listen to that language. Does that describe you in your Christian life? Do you toil and strive in the things of God? Or does it just describe you in other areas of your life, but not this one? This is an area we are called to toil and strive in. There are no gains without pains. And we are called to accept personal responsibility as train yourself for godliness. A trainer cannot train for you. Each individual must train themselves with the help of a trainer and with the help of others to spur them on. I want to read something from you from J.C. Ryle. This bishop from the 1800s, I am growing to love his writings with everything I read from him. And I want to read with you a section about counting the cost and specifically his section on counting the cost in terms of it's going to cost us the love of ease. Because I think this is one of the most idolatrous things most of the time for American Christians. We make a God out of ease. And so I know these things are heavy. But bear with us for a few more minutes because I'm called to challenge you on some of these things. And then I'm really looking forward to motivating you. So listen to J.C. Ryle. He says this, It will cost a man his love of ease. He must take pains and trouble if he means to run successfully a race toward heaven. He must daily watch and stand on his guard like a soldier on the enemy's ground. He must take heed to his behavior every hour of the day, in every company, in every place, in public as well as private, among strangers as well as at home. He must be careful over his time, his tongue, his temper, his thoughts, his imagination, his motives, his conduct in every relation of life. He must be diligent in his prayers, his Bible reading, and his use of Sundays with all their means of grace. In attending to these things, he may come far short of perfection, but there is none of them that he can safely neglect. He says, this also sounds hard. There is nothing we naturally dislike as much as trouble. That is like work and effort and strain. There's nothing we naturally dislike more than trouble about our religion. We hate trouble. We secretly wish we could have a vicarious Christianity and could be good by proxy and have everything done for us. Like That's like someone going, I have got this really muscular personal trainer. And you just wish, you know, you could be like him without putting in any of the work. You know, it's like somebody like, I wish I could memorize scripture like that. You just don't want to work for it. Like, oh, I wish I could know the Bible better. But you don't really want to try that hard to do it. 
And we spend our Christian lives doing this. You see, that's what he's saying here. We wish we could live vicarious Christianity, right? Anything that requires exertion and labor is entirely against the grain of our hearts. But the soul can have no gains without pains. So, that's where I leave us in terms of the challenges. And now I want to seek to close with four motivations that I hope to build you up because the reality is is that it's easy to start well but not finish well. It's really easy to be inconsistent in spiritual training in our lives. And uh, Daniel and I were talking about statistics about gym memberships. And we read a statistic where, you know, and it's interesting to look at the charts and graphs on these kind of things, but you know, in January, the, the, the sales skyrocket, right? They just skyrocket. But 80% of people that sign up for memberships quit within the first five months. So they just get really excited and then they just kind of fizzle out. We don't want you to fizzle out in the Christian life. We want you to be able to press in for the long haul, just to live a disciplined and holy life, which means you're not going to arrive overnight. None of us arrive overnight. And many of the godliest people in our church have gone through great pains to make those gains. And we would do well to follow after them and to do whatever it takes to get in shape spiritually and to stay in shape spiritually. And so I don't want you to be a statistic. I don't want you to hear this from me like, oh, zeal in the Bible reading, right? Binge this next week and then just, you know, I want you to do And I can't give a tailored thing right now from the pulpit, but I'm willing to talk to anybody to help make a plan, Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, anything in your life that you need to help make a plan for. And I'm going to urge you to do that. But here's some motivations to help you not give up, right? Something that you can, things you can speak to yourself and why you're doing what you're doing from our text. The first motivation I'm going to give you to build spiritual muscle in your life is that this, when you do that, when you put in the labor, it's going to pay off because God will grow your discernment making you wiser and safer. Look at verses um, 1 through first part of verse 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, the teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There is something sober and scary about what Paul is talking about in those verses. Do you feel that at all, even if you don't fully understand everything that's being said there? He's saying in these last times, like between the comings of Christ, we're in them, right? I think it's crystal clear biblically. In the latter times or latter days, the Bible describes a similar thing. People are going to apostatize. People who once professed faith in Christ are going to walk away from the faith. They're going to be deceived by false teachings. This is super sobering. And this happens on the ground. Like people you know all of a sudden walk away. I had a guy in college that seemed like he had so much zeal. And all of a sudden he grew cold toward God. And now he's living an extremely worldly life. It's sobering. And it's even scary at times because these teachings are animated by demonic forces. So how is this a motivation? It's a motivation because you are going to be able to stand in such days if you train yourself in godliness. If you know the Bible in an increasing way and you are walking and growing in godly character, you're going to be able to stand up in the hardest of times. No matter what comes in the days ahead, you're going to be able to stand. A great motivation is this: there's some safety for your soul and the people that you influence by being willing to train yourself in godliness. And you know what else? You'll come to times when someone will fall away. Someone that looked like they're the real deal but proved that they weren't. And you won't be surprised. And your faith won't be thrown into a tailspin because you'll know better. Because you'll know the word of God better. And your character will be able to withstand some of the most difficult things that you'll experience in your life. This is a great motivation for pressing on in our discipline. A second motivation for you is this. 
By training yourself in this way, God will grow your capacity to enjoy his good gifts. Look at that last part of verse 3 into verses 4 and 5. It says, God created, uh, God created these things to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Creation is thick with the goodness of God. He's just filled this world with things that are meant to delight the children of God. We are meant to have a hearty enjoyment of the good things that God has given to us in this world. But the thing is, the things in this world are just a foretaste of the greatest things yet to come in the world to come. But here's the thing. The people that give themselves whole souled to the things of God are the people that enjoy the simple pleasures of life the most. Have you noticed like people that don't take the things of God very seriously, but they indulge in all of God's good gifts. They make them idolatrous things in their life. They make them the main things in their life. And there's just this nagging reality that you can't even enjoy those well. You can't even enjoy them with the depth that you're meant to enjoy them with. But here's the beautiful thing. When you give yourself to training, I can tell you this. Do you think an Olympic athlete that has to say no to a lot of things and push themselves in diet and exercise and rigorous training, do you think that they might enjoy a hamburger more than you and me? Like when they get to just, mm, I mean, when they get to just really enjoy something, do you think they enjoy it? Like it's the same way with a Christian that's serious in training on the things of God. You want to enjoy the things of God in a, in a more deep way when you, instead of just feeling that like, oh, that's it? Like, It's going to come from going deep in the things of God. Notice what it says. These things are made holy by the word of God in prayer. I don't think that's just like a nice little cantation or something we pray like, okay, we just speak a little grace over it and all of a sudden magic happens. I think it's coming out of a consecrated heart through the word of God in prayer. A heart that's shaped by the word of God. A heart that's been communing with God through prayer. And then you come to these little things in life and they, wow, that flower is beautiful. Wow. Everything becomes more beautiful to a heart that's consecrated to God. This is what God wants. I want you to enjoy the good gifts of God more than anybody you know in your lives. I want unbelievers to go like, how does he enjoy that hamburger like that? I'm trying not to say chocolate because I always say chocolate. Okay, I just said chocolate. (laughs) We should be able to enjoy things, but I'll tell you this. He who saves his life will lose it. So if you try to cut corners and you just indulge in all these things and never say no and live your life for these things, you're going to miss the main thing. But if you give yourselves to the main thing, everything else is going to become sweeter. You might not have as many windows, you know, to just indulging in everything you can want to, but the windows you do get are going to become really, really sweet. And I want that for you. So train yourself in godliness. Number three, third motivation, God Through your training, God will use you to be an example to encourage others. Look at verses 12 and following. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Here you go, so that all may see your progress. There's a lot here. Now, when I talk about God using you as an example to encourage others, I'm not talking about using you once you're perfect, right? Like once you've somehow mysteriously arrived, right? None of us have arrived. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about growth. We are talking about obvious growth. You know, where we're on a trajectory where we are growing in our knowledge of the word of God. We're growing in character and our ability to live it out. And as we do grow, it's so encouraging. So I want to give a special word to the youth right here. Did you notice that verse? I mean, this is just gold. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know, it's really hard to look down on a youth when you're busy looking up to them. 
because of their example. And I love this because there's actually a lot of youth, and I'm not just talking about like youth, like 13 to 18 or something. I'm talking about like younger people in our church that are growing a lot. And I think it is just stimulating things in our church. Amen. I mean, God is using it. And I think it's so inspiring. Those who are later in years, I mean, to see that it's just, it's inspiring. And uh, you're spurred on by their example. And so the youth, I want to say, let no one look down on you. And they're not going to do it if you're growing in godliness and to think that you could be used, even in your early years, of God to stimulate massively beautiful things in the church of Jesus Christ that are going to have ripple effects for the salvation of souls and the upbuilding of the church. This is awesome. Give yourself to growing in godliness because God's going to use your example to do powerful things in people's lives. But this is not just for the younger people. This is also for those who have more years, <laughs> generally. Uh, I want to say this. It is never too late to be a good example. It's never too late to be a good example. Some of you, I just have to keep harping on this because I just feel like you just think like, oh, well, I'm not as... I'm not as gifted as that person over there. I haven't done this with my life or I haven't been a Christian for very long. And so I don't know the Bible very well. And I just want to say it is not too late. Everybody is an example. You're either a good one or a bad one. And I'm saying it's not too late to be a good one. In fact, it's so inspiring to me to watch someone even later in life grab hold of the things of God and grow. And grow. Start taking discipleships. Start saying, oh, I need people to humble themselves, even at that stage of life, to say, I need someone to teach me so that I can be part of teaching others. I need to be built up so that I can build other people up. It's powerful. One of the most impactful people in my life was my mentor, Bob Burt, 83-year-old man, who himself would say he was a late bloomer. And he was he shaped me more than a lot of people in my early years as a Christian. And he just because he bloomed late and I just saw him grabbing onto the things of God and seeing what growth could do and how much beauty it brought into his life and mine because of it. I want that for you. I don't want any of you to think it's too late to be a good example. God wants to use you, but you have to be, and this goes for all of us, young, old, you have to be willing to grow in front of others. It's vulnerable. I can testify. I came here as a 25-year-old pastor. Do you know how excruciating it's been at time to grow in front of a whole church? And just to know that I'm going to be like, I'm in a fishbowl all the time. This has not been a cakewalk. But grow we must, right? If we want to be an example to others. And I'm saying every single one of us is meant to be one worthy of emulation, right? God will use you. I want you to want that. And I also want you to know that if you fail in your discipline, God is not going to forsake you. You're going to set resolves and you're going to fall on your face sometimes. You're going to get back up again because a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. God's not going to forsake you. Daniel was talking about this the other day with me, just that, just like an Olympian that strains hard, he trains hard, and then he goes to the Olympics, he competes, you know, and let's say he doesn't medal. Like he doesn't get one of the medals, gold, silver, or bronze. Doesn't get to end up on the platform. That doesn't mean he loses his citizenship. Thank God, at least not in our country. I don't know about the other ones, right? But the, you're not going to lose your citizenship, right? In fact, some of the most beautiful, memorable times in Olympic history is like where you have one athlete fall down and another one that just could have, could have passed him, and suddenly they stop and they pick him up. And they bring them along and they finish together. Like the point is, we have to grow together. We have to press on where every single person is taking personal responsibility to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To do whatever it takes. It is so worth it because people need our example. The next generation needs our example. I'm counting on you, church, to show my kids what it looks like to be Christians. Right? I'm going to try to do that. I'm kind of going to try to do that. But we need you. We want the, the, the powerful impact really comes not for just from seeing a couple people, but from seeing the whole church. Just like I said last week, it's impressive to see one pillar. 
it's a lot more impressive to see many pillars holding up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my final encouragement to you to press on in spiritual disciplines is that God will make it all worth it in the end. He will make it all worth it in the end. Thank you for hanging in there to this point. This is one of the sweetest points that can be made. He will make it all worth it in the end. Look at verse 7 and hear this analogy again. 7 and following. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly mist. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of all value. It's in value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, yes, but also for the life to come. It can be depressing to think that that your toil will have no lasting value. I mean, I work so hard at that and then nothing to show for it, right? I mean, so depressing. I mean, here's one example that came to my mind. I remember, what was it, 2017, guys, when the Pierce football team won state, um, like for the first time in like 10 years. Is that right? Right? Oh, 15, thank you. TCF Bank Stadium. It was a joy. I went there, watched the game. I was part of the crowd cheering these guys on. And to watch, think about all the pains they put in to get to that point, and then to win the state championship game. And it, it was, there was some glory in that moment as the whole crowd is cheering them on. They're holding up their state championship trophy. But God was teaching me something fresh in that moment because I'm watching it, and I'm caught up, and I'm just like, this is awesome. And then, like, it just seemed like within moments, the other teams, the next teams that are going to play, start running out, and just like literally like running in front of and around the guys that are holding their trophy. I'm going, wow. Like, athletes all over state wish they could be in that place. And these guys, they look at the gains they made from all the pains they made. <sighs> look at the temporal blessing of that. Wow. But look how fleeting it is. And it's not to take anything. I think it was great. It was awesome. But it's of just temporal value. But what about things that are going to last for eternity? Even the simplest thing is going to be part of something greater than anything this world has to offer. There's value now, but most of the payoff comes later. And um, imagine, imagine arriving on that day before the Lord Jesus Christ and hearing the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine, imagine the payoff it's going to be in glory. And to, to help you imagine, I want to close with these words from J.C. Ryle, again, talking about this payoff to encourage us to persevere and to press on. I read this, and it's the last thing I'm going to say. Take this to heart. I bid him to persevere and press on. I dare say you often feel your heart faint and are solely tempted to give up in despair. Your enemies seem so many, your besetting sins so strong, your friends so few, the way so steep and narrow, you hardly know what to do. But still I say, persevere and press on. The time is very short. A few more years of watching and praying, a few more tossings on the sea of this world, a few more deaths and changes. A few more winters and summers and all will be over. We shall have fought our last battle and shall need to fight no more. The presence and company of Christ will make amends for all we suffer here below. When we see as we have been seen and look back on the journey of life, we shall wonder at our faintness of heart. We shall marvel that we made so much of our cross and thought so little of our crown. We shall marvel that in the counting the cost, we could ever doubt on which side of the balance the prophet lay. Let us take courage. We are not far from home. It may cost much to be a true Christian and a consistent believer, but it pays. Let's pray. Father, you know how these challenges have settled on every heart in this room. I pray, God, that you would give us grace to take these things to heart, to train ourselves in godliness, to push ourselves, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you supply. 
God, I pray that you'd use these motivations to help us to see that while there are no gains to be had without pains, the gains will make the pains all worth it. Lord, I thank you for the glorious hope that we are running to. And I pray, God, that all of us can say together, to this end we toil and strive because we've set our hope on the living God. And Lord, for those here that are just tempted to to just try to fix themselves up and whip themselves into shape when they don't need just to get in shape, they need a new heart. Lord, I pray that you'd grant it. Grant them the grace to believe, just like you did Luther and like you did so many of us. Lord, have mercy. Give grace for people to see the gospel clearly, but also to see the Christian life clearly. We consecrate our hearts to you now, and we pray that you would be exalted in our worship. Help us to run after you, even in the way that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.